Nerds, welcome to another episode of Swing Thoughts, live from the Humble and Fred Studios. Well, live to tape from the Humble and Fred Studios in downtown Toronto, and uh, with us, of course, the uh, mental performance coach for the uh, Glen Abbey Academy and the coach of the Guelph Griffins, Tim O'Connor. Mr. O'Connor, good morning, Howard. How are you, sir? Fantastic. Uh, I, of course, uh, golf spiritual leader. As uh, we head into uh, the winter season here. Tim and I, great seeing you the other day. We hung out. We had our first kind of face-to-face swing thoughts season denouement, if you will. Yes, we did our we did our review and our preview. It was good to see your smiling face. And you are a freaking golf nerd, man. Well, the wind, the wind was howling. It's like I thought my car was going to take flight, and <laughs> and you went out there. No, we had this meeting. It was like fourteen degrees, but the winds were were like honestly, the winds were gusting like eighty k, ninety k in the city. And Tim had to go. I said, "Well, I'm going to go play." I was, no. just, I was expecting the witch, the wicked witch of the west, to come flying by. Uh, but listen. There's no time like the present to get better, uh, and yes. uh, I thought that was a great day to, uh, to work on my low-bullet bullet cuts. Uh, this show is sponsored by TaylorMade. Uh, do, you have, is, do, we need, do we even need to tell people it's the number one driver in golf? It just is. I think that they know it, but I never. It never hurts to say yes. things. It's like saying things to your children. Eventually, you know, they get it. So. Keep so it Taylor going. Made. TaylorMade, number one driver in golf, and of course, uh, all the clothing on the uh, swing thoughts. Is uh, is Adidas? Adidas, home of the three, uh, 360 Boost. Is that it? Three three stripes. Yes. Uh, with us today, we want to get right to this because uh, through the winter, Tim and I have decided that what we would like to do is bring a series of interviews with uh, people around the world that are interested in some of the same things we are, which is getting better. Well, not only at golf, but in any sport. Uh, this gentleman is a uh, Ph.D. in something very, very smart, uh, skill transfer. He is a uh, uh, Dr. Edward. Hang on a second. Hang on a second, guys. Dr. Edward Coglin from the Cork Institute of Technology in Cork, Ireland, and he joins us today. Hello, sir. Good morning, guys. Good morning, and thank you so much, Um for the invitation, but also for to, to bring such a, a broad smile to my face at, at this hour of the morning. Uh, I, as I think I said to you, Tim, in the email thread before we, we got started today, I love the fact that the, the Sultans of Ping, um, not the Sultans of Ping, sorry. Sultans the, uh, of Swing, but, although yeah, that would be funny. The Sultans of Pain is what golf should be called. Yeah, that's what, that, that's what the game is well, about. Well, would you believe there's an actual, a very famous, well-known Cork band called the Sultans of Ping, nice. and that's where I got that mixed up. But uh, I love the fact that um, Dire Straits is is the leading well, for 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 your gig. It's great. Uh, Ed, let me just be, be um, clear. So we, I, you actually send us a nice bio. Let me say, Doctor Ed is a skill acquisition specialist with a focused interest in the practice transfer domain. There's so much in this for golfers. Ed's work is driven by the need to create bespoke, which means tailored practice sessions that replicate the demands of competition so as to maximize the likelihood of the effort invested resulting in improved performance. And if I may, Tim, let me just start there and say, what is it about golf? And it's been, we've been, people have been had this question uh, discussed for years. Why is golf such, and, and maybe you can talk about it in other sports, why is golf so difficult to transfer skills from practice to play? That's a great question. I think there's there's a word that I'm using a lot lately, um, 
and the term is acculturation and it, it, it basically I didn't know it existed but the term the word acculturation means it, it, it's based around that this is the culture and it's we've always done it this way um, and I think that sometimes can be that can get in the way for for uh, of golf transferring uh, because there's a lot of cultural resilient beliefs that still exist in the game in my in my estimation that have have people practicing in a manner in which they've seen others practice or they believe others practice but have never maybe questioned sufficiently well is this the right practice for me now there are other there are, I'm sure there are types of practice that are are right for others but may not be for 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 this person in in particular but I think these culturally resilient beliefs um, and, and feeding into that space of, um, well, we've always done it this way. I think that is something not just for golf, but I think across, across sport. Uh, if we if we find ourselves practicing or doing anything just because it's always been done that way, I think that's a fast track to finding yourself down a rabbit hole and, and, and not maybe not maybe knowing where the exit is. So, Ed, are you referring to, let's say, like most golfers I see, uh, you know, they go to the range and they tip over the basket of balls and they they decide they're going to work hard. You know, I'm going to hit balls so my hands bleed type of thing. Um, does that do any good? I mean, you see thousands of golfers do that. Yeah, and, and again, uh, it, it may it may do good for some um, because again, how we will how we will um, in, in, in some way self-organize ourselves to a method of practice that suits us is, is, is something for consideration. But the fact that everyone would self-organize themselves to the same type of practice, right. I find difficult to digest. Well, maybe we can back up away from golf just for a minute and we'll come back in a second. And maybe you can just talk about some of the work in general. What are some of the... There's some of the leading technology in terms of skill acquisition. I, I, I mean, we, people hear a lot of things like transfer training and uh, disruptive practice. I, uh, we talked about this on a few shows ago. I read uh, Allred's book, The Pressure Principle. You know, he worked with uh, Francesco Molinari. And, and what they talk a lot about is making your practice more difficult than your play. But before we get to that, let's talk a little bit about skill acquisition in general. Mm. I, I think skill acquisition in general is is the the development of a skill set that is adaptable i think that where where it can somewhat be in conflict with uh, with with sports is where where you have sports who who believe that they work on the principle of dialing in a skill i'm going to perfect a skill and i think when we when we look at just a human body and the, the 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 complexity that that it is that is us. I think if we are looking for perfection, I think that has a significantly negative impact on freeing up the degrees of freedom that we should be actually um, trying to attach ourselves to. So I think skill acquisition is not an end point. It is the capacity to be adaptable with that skill. If I, may, I, if I may follow up, though, so is that why we, whether it's golf or learning to, to speak in public or going to learn another language, are is it because of our sort of innate drive for perfection that sometimes we get in our own way when we're trying to learn something new because we want to do it so correctly? 
That's brilliant, Howard. I think that's exactly what happens to people. We we begin to chase something. And then what happens when we begin to chase is we we, we get this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling in, in our in our tummy that says, oh, I'm getting better on this practice effect. But that's all it is. It's not a, there's not a learning effect happening at that time. But then we begin to chase. Oh, I got one of them in. I'm going to do that again. and I'm going to try and get 10 in a row. And before we know it, it becomes well, I'm not leaving here till I get 10 in a row. And you're thinking, Oh, you, you just found yourself in that rabbit hole inadvertently. And it may have come from a good place to begin with, right. but it has been a desire to improve, but it's taken us in a direction where it actually impedes our improvement. Tim? Exactly. Yeah, I think uh, almost every golfer can, uh, can attest to this experience. You know, go out to practice and say you could have you know, something you're going to work on. I'm going to work on a better takeaway or something. But I love that term rabbit hole. But you find yourself, oh, I'm blocking shots or something. So, so I'm going to apply this fix. There's, a, hey Stan, There's how are you Stan. this morning? Yeah. Uh, so you apply this fix, and you start to apply this fix to unblock your seven irons. And next thing you know, you've been there an hour, and maybe you had something, maybe you lost something. But you know, the thing that you walk away from, you, you know, a lot of people think tomorrow's the day. I got it. I got this move, this feeling. It's the magic move. And by hole number three, that's gone poof. You're on swing thought number 27. And yet again, you had disappeared in this rabbit hole and came up with nothing and, in fact, sabotaged yourself. Yes. Yes. I, I agree with that. I think that speaks very strongly to a term I heard only ye- yesterday. I'd heard it before, but it, it reminded me. It was from a guy called Danny Newcomer, which was about manipulating the instability in practice. Can I – because there's instability in the golf course everywhere – Every shot is going to be different. Every, the, the lie is going to be different. It's never this perfect lie we get on the range. It's slightly sloping away or the or the, the, the image of the shot that's in front of us is quite different because of the context of the course and the environment and so on and so forth. So if we can manipulate that instability in practice, it makes us very adaptable then to cope with that instability in performance. And I think that's... That's a space where you can – that's a that's a rabbit hole to go down. <laughs> so, go, feel free to go down that rabbit hole of manipulating instability in your practice. One of the things that brings people to our podcast, as humbly as we may say, there's a group of people that have been frustrated. And I think our our group – and, you know, we're, we're, we have some number of people that relate to what's being said this morning and what we've said for three years, which is – which is what we're saying that it, it, there's got to be a better way because most of us are frustrated where we can be great in one one day and terrible the next. So what are the what is the so we know what what not to do? What are some of the ways that we can start building skills in a way that uh, makes us reliable, less fragile, uh, that we are actually uh, building the skill that we can use? Yeah, that's a that's a great question because uh, it, it actually speaks to a conversation I had with uh, a, a, another a golf coach, a guy called Stuart Morgan, and he's he's actually he's he's the head of the pro program for the Swiss PGA, and we were chatting recently about how you mentioned already Dave Allred's book, The Pressure Principle, and it was it wasn't that anything new had come out as a result of Dave's book, but for people like myself and others who were already working in that space, it was like it legitimized a lot of the work we were doing. It was like, ah, so so I'm not the, the zealot anymore that I thought I once was and people were thinking I was. And what all of that kind of comes back to is there's a, a, a single word for what you're talking about. What are the good things? Context. How much 
context can you actually bring into your practice? I said it to a guy I'm working with right now. I was we were at an event just in the pre just the season that's wrapping up now, a couple of months back, and I was like, it's incredible to see how many guys they go to the range after the day. You know, Thursday doesn't go so well, but so I've got to go there today after being already on the course for five hours with maybe an an hour before that warming up and then a couple of hours before that that they've got up. So they're already up eight nine hours before they say I've got to go back to the range again. If they had a late tee off, they've got an early tee off then the next day. So they're even squashing it even more. And then you see them, you see what they were doing on the course. There's a there's a lovely method or routine that they'll go through. But then they'll go to the range and they'll they'll completely eliminate that routine. The bag of ball, the the bucket of balls are there and they're just dragging ball after ball in. Whereas on the course, they would never do that without maybe looking at a yardage book. Maybe looking at, you know, to contextualize what it is that's in front of them. What is the kind of shot they're trying to shape? They would never just stand repeatedly with their feet locked in that same position. Even have them step back and walk into the shot and so on and so forth. So they're the easy wins I I, I see, you know. Just, even just to break you out of that range cycle, take out your yardage book. To disrupt, if you will. Well, you know, disruption is a great word they use a lot in, you know, media these days and marketing. But disruptive practice, uh, those are the skills that I want to learn. You know, I want to give you an example. You know, for instance, a lot of people now in Canada and the States and Northeast are, are going to start working on their games indoors. So let's not talk about trying to acquire learning how to hit a shot. What a lot of golfers are going to do this winter is learn how to maybe make a different move. I know that I'm spending an inordinate amount of time uh, working with a, a coach this winter to try and work on my golf swing. But mm-hmm. am I am I doing myself any good? I mean, am I? A, can you acquire some skills technically away from the environment without context? Yeah, I think there's the one thing that I that when I I talk to some guys about is the the concept of and I it's not even a great name for it, but it's the term they use is mental travel. You know where. Where I want to work on, you know, I, I'm I, I'm I'm away, and uh, something happens, and I can't get out in the course, or or I, like you're saying, I live in a country where, like a, a guy that I know up in in Norway, they're they're heading into their deep snow season, you know, and it'll and it'll stay for quite a while, you know, and and I was I, and we're just talking about that idea of well, you know. Find a nice, uh, some so a nice little space in in your house or wherever you are, and it doesn't have to be perfectly straight. It doesn't have to be this perfect environment. So stop looking for well, it's a lovely roll of the carpet, it's a lovely roll in the hallway. <laughs> well, I'm only Start laughing. Out. I'm only laughing because O'Connor chips balls in the hallway of his house. For sure, he does. Good. That's good. And I have a I have a spare bedroom in my place with a mattress turned up against the wall. So trust me, we're we're nerding out with you. So find a find a place in your house where your family doesn't go. Exactly. Exactly. But but and then in that space, just to start thinking about the 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 forces that you put through the ball but not in a very deeply technical way but saying to yourself well i'd like to i'm not going to put a target down per se i'm not going to say i want to hold these many puts because we're not on a putting green we're not outdoors so let's let's remove that element but just let's start saying i want to start getting into what it feels like for me to say i'd like to i'd like to put the ball four feet i'd like to then put a ball five feet and four and a half feet and eight feet 
and and then and literally and and as I say to guys, if you can have a measuring tape that's just it's 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 out and it's fully it's 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 out alongside you. You can't see it while you're putting, so it might even be behind you, and you just want to start having this mental travel idea. What does it feel like when I want to put that kind of force behind the ball that's going to result in a three feet or a six feet? You know, yeah. So I wanted to just uh, delve a little bit deeper into what you're just talking about there. Uh, so one of the things that we talk on the, uh, on this show a lot is kind of that that technical focus that people have. I'm going to hinge my wrist. I'm going to do this and that with my body. So if you could just do a little deeper dive into what you're talking about, are you saying that when you try and hit the ball, say four feet, four and a half feet, five feet, is it just more of allowing your body to do it, or are you still thinking? Oh, are you still just so our audience can get it? Are they still, you know, they may still be thinking of, I need to accelerate the club head, keep my head still. Just no, brilliant and 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 great steer. Thank you for that, Tim. Because it it is it is about trying to self-organize ourselves to the task, and it's about trying to go to where, let's say, Gabby Wolf's work around uh, external focus of attention. It's trying to look at jo- Joan Vickers' work around that quiet eye. It's trying to it's trying to rein in the things that take us away from trying to control 206 bones and all the muscles that attach on those bones and the muscular tendons tissue that lead, you know. No, no, I, w- I want to try and attach myself to the task. I want to try and self-organize and coordinate myself to what I've asked of myself. Be so, that. so another way of saying that would be like allowing my body to do what it know- needs to do, how it can adapt to the situation, and it can do it versus trying to, as you say, organize that I'm going to make my right wrist do a certain thing in the bones of my forearm. We're going to do this and that. Exactly, exactly. And uh, look, I, I've got two. I've got two kids. I've a six-year-old and a guy who's just ten today, in fact. And they, uh-huh. we, we, we will, we will go. We'll go hitting some shots, and it's it's great. I've never done. I do not. And by you know, because obviously in my in my work and whatever, but I don't tell them how to swing the club. Now, they come from a, a family and a household where we've got a, there's always a ball somewhere to be kicked or thrown or caught and so on and so forth. But again, I'm working on the idea that if I put my six-year-old and I say, okay, well, there, there's the ball, there's your club, it's the right size for you and so on and so forth, I'm working on the assumption that he's going to self-organize himself, that he's going to stand in front of it. He's, he's not going to try and hit the, hit the ball and he's going to have the ball behind him and he's going to go through his legs. There's a huge amount that we already will self-organize ourselves to. Even just if the task of saying, well, there's the ball and so on and so forth. And I've even done this and they're unaware of me doing these things. But I've gone and I've 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 put it really high T and I say, OK, so you just try and hit that ball now. And what I'll notice that he'll address the ball and he'll address the ball with the club head elevated off the ground. I won't have told him anything about that. And then I will put it down a low T and I'll still give him the same club and he'll address and he'll put the club on the ground I'm not and I do not I don't say anything I just try to keep manipulating the space and and kind of perturbing that environment that they're in to see how well do they self-organize now if I had a kid that wasn't self-organizing if I had a kid as I said and I put a shot down there and they went to, to hold the club around the back of their head <laughs> and, you know okay okay that's okay then I know where I need to go to 
then I what about a golfer with a what about a golfer with a bad grip or a golfer who who chronically misaligns say way to the right which is a bucks movement that's kind of what i wanted to bring in and and sort of bridge the gap between and then and and the reason i was smiling at you o'connor is like i love when you're like so what you're saying is my philosophy and then let me put it in your words and that's yes. fine, like, but 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 and, and and I and I buy into most of what Tim was saying. The only where I I delve away or move away from it, uh, Ed, is what kind of what you were just saying. You know, if I'm working with somebody and they're helping, and I'm trying to help them with their putting, and they yeah. there's they, they you know they're they're at least aiming in the right direction. Then we can talk about pace as a form of feeling in your body. But mm. there has to be some place to acquire the skill of properly aligning a putter and hitting it in the center of the face all the time. And if your grip is weird or you have no sense of it, then there has to be some, as you, I love what you said, some organization around the shot. And I think that's what's so, that's what, again, going back to that term I used earlier about these kind of cultural resilient beliefs that, well, I'm, I'm always going to hit the, the, the ball out of the middle of the face. I'm always going to, and so on and so forth. And yet, we we now know we don't. And the best players in the world, the very top players in the world, they do not hit the ball out of the exact sp- same spot of the club all the time. But what they are very good at doing is self-organizing themselves so that, uh, it wants to, to use a kind of technical term, the coincidence timing mechanism is just it's it, they've worked on that so it's a bit like my you know i wanted to touch my my fingers with my nose the coincidence timing if however often i do that but then again i also know if i want to improve on that the best way of doing that is to have some variability if i want that to transfer for me to have good coincidence timing to put my finger on something else not just my nose which again is somewhat aligned to my own my own system my <laughs> that's own. right you've organized that around your face yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, what do you want to say, Tim? Um, well, how does that work in terms of a golfer just trying to hit a golf shot? In terms of, I see a shot. I'm out on the golf course, and I've got a back left pin, and the ball is 160 yards. Um, you know, a lot of players are still thinking, um, okay, I got to transfer my weight. And because I want to hit a draw, I need to, say, roll my wrists or something. Are you saying in terms of like self-organizing, is more of the target dictating what the body will do and allowing the body to do what it knows to do? <laughs> yeah. Now, again, it, and it, it, it is a bit of both of those things because I, I guarantee you, again, as I see with my own kids, if I, if I ask my kid, I said, okay, I want you to, I want you to hit the, little, the, the red flag that's 40 meters in front of you, directly in front of you, and then the next shot, I actually want you to hit the green flag that's 30 meters to your left. He's going to adjust his stance to to aim that way now again because we it's just fun for them and so on and so forth but if he begins to see that his ball fades towards that target and he feels well i'm aligned to that but what i fade the ball and it keeps going left to right and i keeps landing five ten meters to the left of the to to the right of the hole because it's faded around then i i i believe because i've seen it the, an adjustment begins to be made i i'll either begin to play to the fade as, as such but that doesn't mean then that I don't want to maybe explore, well, what if you want to work it the other way? If, if that's what's happening with your body in this in this way, what kind of exploration can I put in front of them to make them try and explore how I can move the ball going from a draw right to left? And, and all of that without really saying in order to do that, as Tim was, you need to roll your wrist. Like, 
I, and, I, and I buy into it uh, again, yeah. and playing it at a fairly uh, decent level. I, you know, there's he's a good player, Ed. He's really good. He's a really good the, player. The is, when I have when I have a, a draw shot. I'm not yeah. thinking about transferring my weight or what I need to do, but I go. Th- there is a quick list of things my body knows what to do, and I would, in, you know, maybe instinctively move it back a bit or aim a little bit right. All those things that we do, but, but those are those are once you have some skill. Mm-hmm. Again, mm-hmm. your your shirt says skill acquisition, and so what we're listening to is somebody talking about acquiring the golf skill in a way that maybe you haven't thought of before. What you might also see is it also says ability by birth, skill, skill by, by work. work. I love that. Yeah. So, so what I mean by that to go to that 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 point is, we know from human movement sciences, we know from all from huge work from people like uh, Thielen and and people from decades ago about the abilities we're born with. We're born with capacities. Let's say we're even born with a walk reflex. You hold a newborn baby up and they'll have this walking action in their feet. You're born with the suck reflex for feeding, the grip reflex for survival perspective uh, uh, needs and so on and so forth. These are abilities. Now, they're not skills yet because we don't have them in some way uh, in a, in a control or repeatable way. They're certainly not adaptable yet. And I think what you're talking about here is the or what you're what you're maybe and correct me if I'm wrong, you're you're asking is there a time in the early stages when we need to do this deep work? And then once we get there, it then can become a little bit more autonomous and, sure. and subconscious. Because and good, I, think, I was going to say good, 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 good people at any skill aren't thinking about how to do the skill while they're doing it. And I, and I think and I think what, what we sometimes forget is the amount of work that happens as kids in a very unstructured way that gets ignored, gets ignored based on even how how their skills actually develop without any coach being there. How, let's say, and again, I, 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 you know, we've, for the, for the vast majority of people who, who are fortunate enough to be able to walk, when we were learning how to walk, people, no one said at a certain point in time after like two months of trying, Hey, hey, listen, kiddo. That's just not. It's, it's just not working out for you, okay? And just, try, try something else, okay? Yeah. Yeah. Don't, I'm really disappointed. In you. This walking may not be yeah. for yeah. you. You really. Our family is not looking good. Yeah. <laughs> we're given that time and space to explore when we're younger, and yet we get very impatient as we get older. So, for example, my firstborn, my firstborn never crawled. So he never did the hands and mm-hmm. hands and around the place. And of course, if if I wasn't in the area of interest that I was, I would have because I know my wife was. Is he okay? And I was like, he's good. We got such a bandwidth here for the for the the time frame for him to find out and figure this out. We're we're good. But of course, you go to a play group and every other kid is crawling around the place. <laughs> and here's our guy, like a little Buddha, like a little Buddha in the corner, just watching everyone, not crawling, and then. One day, and this is absolutely truthful, he stood up and walked across the room. He never never crawled. And then his kid brother crawled from the moment he figured it out and crawled and then did all the different proper stages. But his older brother skipped the entire crawling stage. So we have to be very conscious that we need to just keep reminding ourselves that we figure out a lot of stuff. And given the time, and this is what happens then, people say to me, I know, but, Ed, you know, uh, uh, 
but, but the people I'm working with, they, you know, they don't have time. And I said, you think the people I work with don't have time? I said, their livelihoods depend on me getting them there quickly. They're, my my contract with them depends on them getting there quickly. So, And yet I'm still choosing the exploration route where I can perturb their environment and put a, a, enough problems in front of them that they've got to figure out rather than me coming in with all the answers. Right. And yet it's, it's the short term. It's a little bit of a it's a bit of a sell for them because they get they suffer in training and practice with me. But the uh, long term is, ha. Huh. And all of a sudden what begins to, there's almost this this kind of a, a light bulb moment of, I don't remember learning this because something begins to happen implicitly with them. And that's so much more important for the robustness of these skills than when they come under pressure. So, so, so Ed, um our listener base, which I would say would be largely in the the northeast of of this great continent of North America, mm. uh, it's starting to get cold now. And we talked about earlier the wind blows and whatnot. So people are moving indoors. So what would you suggest in terms of working in some of your principles around, say, context or adaptability? If you're going to advise someone about devising some kind of plan for say working with a coach and you know it's going to be hitting in the nets and stuff like that what would you advise them to focus on i would advise them to focus on that the, again that visualization that imagery that focus of attention the, the all the concepts that they can control because what you want to try and do especially when the 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 time to view your transfer is is going to be somewhat delayed because you're indoors Okay, you're not going to be able to go out and try this in two feet of snow the next day. It's just not going to be possible. So what I would what so what I mean by that is, I I I encourage people to not look at the outcome. Don't right. analyze the outcome. Analyze the process. So you're going to be, and that's why I I'd ask people to sparingly, and it's not to not at all, but sparingly use the launch monitor when you right. are not going to have a a, a a time where you're going to be able to actually check the transfer for for a period of time so then it, it that that is to encourage it's still it's still great information and data that you can get from the launch monitor but if you're not going to be able to get actually get out and try and determine is this working as a learning effect as a performance effect for a while for a few weeks or months well then You've got to park that side of the practice and just be more focused on, okay, I'm, I'm actually not worried where it goes because I'm going to hit into net. I'm actually going to hit into a very close net. So I can't see what's happening with the ball. I want to see, I want to see what, what can I really work on and, and that, that becomes a part of my new behavior. I've, I've time now to change a behavior. And as anyone who's done any work in, in the sports psychology space, behavior change is a bitch. It is so yes, difficult. Yes, it is. <laughs> it is, absolutely. So, so if there's something that we can do and change in that space, well, let's work on your capacity to see the shot. Let's work on your capacity to accept the shot. Let's see, like I, to build well, what shot. I wanted to... What I wanted to ask about that is that, you know, so people are going... So, like, at the academy that, that I'm affiliated with, you know, people are going to be hitting into a net and they're going to be looking at their numbers. Yes. You know, and, and so, like... And, that, and that's so – because they don't really see the ball. They can kind of judge 
the feeling of contact, some little bit, you know, of of trajectory, etc. Are you saying? I want to make sure I get this. Is that are are we best to try and look at those numbers sometimes, and at other times just ignore them and and work on say the whole movement versus where my right elbow folds. Yes. Okay. So that's that's an interesting that's an interesting great question, and it will take me back many many years ago. In fact, when I was involved in the kind of strength conditioning fitness space, and I remember working with a client who wanted who wanted to lose a, a significant amount of weight, and and I was like, great, and I said, okay, so what we're going to do, we're we're only going to weigh you every six weeks, and she was like, whoa, what? How, how, well, how do you mean? I said, because if you do this on a day, you check yourself every day, you, you'll be demoralized because you'll start chasing it again. So right. stop. Let let let's just park that for six weeks, and and that's what. Now this is just particular to this individual, so we just didn't wait. Why? Because things fluctuate all the time. So can you imagine if she got on the scales on a day that it was in an in a you know in an in an ebb, that would have been demoralizing. Or if she got into the scales in a day and it was, you know, the ebbs and flows of it all, she's in a in a trough or a peak, and you're thinking, well, hang on a second, I want some time for this this behavior change to have its opportunity to get embedded into the system. So we're going to park all that. Don't worry about that. Let us just get let's get busy with doing good work. Let's get busy analyzing the process, reflecting on the work that you've done that day, that week, on and so forth, and then. You'll go and look at the numbers after six weeks, and in, in this capacity, it was it was in it was in weight loss. Then you're able to say, "Wow, look at what has potentially changed." Because we're now in the space for those six weeks, we're working on the behavior now. We're not working on the knowledge of results. I'm in the knowledge of performance. I'm in the. Hang on, I I want you to very much start owning the process of changing your behavior, as opposed to. Is my behavior changing? I got to check the scales. Oh no, it's not. Got to do yeah. more. And that's what happened. We start chasing. Oh, it's not. I'm not. This, the the clubhead speed isn't fast enough. I got to hit it harder. The uh, angle of it, attack isn't shallow enough. I got to do. You got to let time. If, going back to our our babies when they're learning to walk, give them time before we actually start looking for those results that tell us yes or no, yes or no. And and just to be clear, what you know when when Tim's talking about you know not worrying about the angle of your uh, right elbow. Excuse me. <clears throat> but well, I'm not sure where I want to go with this. There, there has to be a time when you acquire the skills necessary for emotion. Do you know what I mean? And, there, and so I wonder in your world, how do we transfer skills and transfer training in, in between the six weeks of weighing oneself? And I, and I yeah. will tell you from... You know, I mean, I've been every type of golfer you can be. And, you know, the type of golfer that would, you know, hit balls in the rain because I knew the tournament round was going to be in the rain the next day. Mm-hmm. So I thought, okay, I should hit balls because I want to I be, be comfortable in this environment. Okay. I just want you to know what kind of nut you're dealing with, Ed. So, okay. Yeah, go on. So I'm, I'm asking, so the problem with golfers, the challenge of golfers is there are – there are skills to acquire, and yet for golfers, for some reason, they ne- we never feel like we're finished acquiring the skills necessary for the game. Okay. Uh, you're, you're right. I don't know where this one is going to go because that's a biggie. So for, for me, 
and I, I think this is something, this is worth noting. I, I've been around golf all my life. I grew up in a house where everyone played golf. There was five kids, two adults, all seven of us were joined the local club at a time and whatever. I, I spent a lot of time on the bag of my brother who was a very good amateur for years. And I, I played, but not as to the same extent he did. I then went and worked in a lot of other sports in the skill act space, kickers and throwers and shooters and so on and so forth. And it's only the last couple of years that I've come into golf in the professional capacity of actual coaching and, and the like. So when I, I'm coming back in and I was expecting to hear new cliches. I'm 45 and I'm still hearing cliches oh, yeah. that I was hearing on the course when I was 14 on my brother's bag. And I'm like, what, 31 years ago? And they're still surviving these cliches. So, oh, for yeah. example... Well, that's what you said about the acculturation. Yeah. The culturation so, of golf example, is that. So, for example, recently doing work with a guy and it was a very windy day. And this guy worked incredibly hard on the course is where we, I do a lot of my work is on the course, manipulating the, 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 the tasks and so on and so forth. And after the round, someone said, you know, man, you're going to have to go and find a, a calm, quiet place to, to get your swing back in because of how that wind will have impacted it. And I was like, wow, I haven't heard that in about 30 years that if you play in a windy day, well, you've, got to now get that and I, and I said I said there's I said to the guy I said look there's no way his swing is that fragile that a few hours golf in the wind is going to now make him swing poorly tomorrow I said not to mention the fact that the wind was blowing the, the, the golf course the wind was blowing consistent direction all the time but he played in a golf course that had multiple directions of the holes we're going into the wind sometimes across the wind the other times with the wind the so how, what, which wind shot are you actually saying he's got to adjust himself to? I said, and when I said if we actually start digging down into the rationale and the, just even the common sense of that cliche, it's been really windy. You've got to go and just yeah, iron yeah. that yourself. I struggle to stay with the rationale. And I suppose when, when, when I start thinking of that, I start thinking, well, the swing isn't that fragile. Unless, of course, we want to make it fragile. And again, going back to your point about golf, golf, unlike a lot of sports, you, you, you uh, ice hockey. I love watching ice hockey. These guys can do the most spectacular things with a puck and all different things and spins and variations and heights and flights and trajectories. But they've got one stick. Golf, we've got 14 sticks that we mm. think have to, oh, well, I've got to, I've got to perfect all of them because they've got to do each stick has to do this specific thing and it gets us stuck into a rigid way of using the tools we have at our disposal. And I think that's something that I try and work with as a work as in my capacity as a practice coach to get people and the, and the players I work with to start viewing the clubs as their friends. They're there to help you solve the problems, not, oh, I'm going to have to really work my irons today. You know, almost as if they're fighting against you. The irons and the ball, and we know these cliches, they have no idea what they are. They don't have a heartbeat. That's right. <laughs> although, we, although we talk to them like they're our friends or enemies, depending <laughs> yeah. on the, Like, you look at your seven iron, you're like, how could you do this to me? Yeah, you I'm admonish treated, it for I'm, bad I've treated you so well over the years. Timmy, what did yeah. you want to mention? So, so Edward, another way to say it, but another way to say it is that when you're on the course, the shot 
dictates what's going to happen. You're hitting a golf shot. The target kind of influences what your technique is going to be as opposed to I'm going to make a really good golf swing here. Because to me, making a good stroke or good golf swing, that's that's pretty useless. That has nothing to do with the score or the performance. I couldn't agree more. That's absolutely right. And I think that feeds into then the performance side of some of the things I do, where you'll have guys, they'll play an event and so on and so forth, and you say, what, 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 day one, two, and three was good. What happened day four? Oh, I was trying to protect it. I was minding it. And I was like, you were, you were, you were minding it and protecting it? I was, Hang on. That has a significant impact on everything on every on, on even how you self-organize to the ball if you're trying to come if you're coming into the ball and you're not you want to mind that ball it it it, it changes that relationship between the golfer and the ball you're protecting a lead you're you're defending a lead you're you start seeing lies and start seeing hurt on the course that you previously would not have seen and that's and we see that consistently the guys who have a poor they've made the cut they have a poor round three and of course they're 10 shots off the lead and they burn it up on day yeah, four they, yeah they back into a top 10 or whatever yeah, yeah. and you're like oh and but the, but, <laughs> but you were thinking hang on the, the following week they're they're in the top 10 in the final round but they mind themselves and they 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 still, and they're, they are allowing the game of golf wag their tail as opposed to them wagging the tail of golf. And, and that is the culture. You, you, you talk about that word, culturation. The culture of golf is so rife with those, as you, you call them, there's mental cliches, there's physical cliches. The culture of the game is my swing is broken and I have to fix it. And, and it's, you know, I just want to mention briefly, you know, I'm, I'm 58 years old and in my brief time here on the planet, I've learned how to snowboard, fly an airplane, wait, and ride a unicycle. And I can tell you, when I have acquired those skills, including the unicycle, which took me six weeks to learn, it was a very disruptive, painful skill acquisition, I promise you. But on the sixth day, or the sixth week and one day, when I was finally able to balance on a single tire, I never had to learn that skill again. What I mean, and that's the old cliche about riding a bike. It's riding, yes. riding anything is you go, okay, I've acquired that. It's like it's like riding a bike. Why is it that golf isn't like riding a bike? And I'm a one handicap. I, By the way, I'm going to tell you, I hit it really good. And yet there are times where I'm like, I can't hit this at all. And I've been doing it longer than you've been alive. Yes. And I, lo I love what you just said there because what I try to do either directly or indirectly is create a skateboarding, extreme sports, snowboarding. Because I snowboard. I love snowboarding. Now that's, and that's also a very painful skill like, acquisition. Yeah. But I try and create that culture around the game of golf. Well, tell us how you do that in our last 15 minutes because the takeaway for all of us today is we, we've got some great background and uh, Dr. Ed, we really appreciate this. So what do we do? And, and if you've snowboarded, Tim, do you board or you, do you uh, ski? Or you I one? ski. I don't like spending all afternoon on my butt. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> I, you know, Ed, I started this. I skied my whole life and then uh, I, I started boarding in my mid-40s. And I remember yeah. the, the first day, the second day, I was just... I'd never hurt myself that much, but on the third day, I yeah. could do it. And then you become basically in snowboarding, you go from zero to, you don't, there's no beginner boarders. There's only the yeah. first couple of days and then you can do it. But I've never not, I, you know, I, I still fall from time to time, but I don't, have to, I don't have to think about where my heel toe balance is all the time.
And when you fall, do you give out about the board? Do you go <laughs> and... No, you don't. Do When you fall, do you think, I've got to go back to the bunny slopes and I've got to dial in my board? No, you don't. And when you fall, do you think, oh, it was, it was, I got a, I got a, I got a bad lie there. That's I got, right. I hit it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I will nope. tell you this, though. I remember when my daughters were younger, I, I, we were all boarding together. One time I fell so badly, I just laid there. And my daughter walks up, she skis up to me and she's like, Daddy, are you okay? I went, nope. Daddy is not okay. <laughs> Daddy will be laying here. But you're right. I don't think, oh, I got to get the same board as Tiger Woods. Then I'd be yeah. good. So yeah. what do we do to disrupt our practice so that we can transfer finally our skills to playing the game? Uh, I, that, I, I love that. I what I try and what I try and encourage is is and again it's it's probably more in, in your space, Tim, is that idea of trying to get a level playing field within yourself. So that yes, our, we we all get a high when we have a birdie, or even when we have this incredible chip in for a par, or we have this very unusual eagle, and it's like, whoa! But it's incredible how often in the next two holes we're gonna knock that off the card with a bogey or even right. a double bogey. So it's that capacity. And again, it comes back to analyzing the process, working on the behavior as opposed to the actual technical side of it. Because of course, it's a very technical sport, but that doesn't mean that we devote all our time to the technique. And I think when I talk about that level playing field, I'm saying, I, I, wanna, I wanna ex- exist here as a golfer. And also as a coach, I wanna exist here as a coach. And when something good happens, I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy it, but I'm gonna work hard to get back down here before the next shot. That kind of back down to level. Here, and it's that's gonna hurt, but I'm gonna work hard to come back up here for the next shot because if I stay down here, I'm already at this level. It's already a, a tough game. Mm-hmm. Why do I want to make it tougher by staying down here or even being up here, where we we love people saying, "Oh, he's hot now. Oh, she she's after getting the putter hot." No, the putter doesn't increase in temperature <laughs> over the course of the round. And uh, But then we, we, we start building these self-fulfilling prophecies. And right. I think as soon as you start to think the putter was hot today, you're absolutely setting yourself up for the day that the putter is freezing cold. Because that's how we work. We work in opposites on a continuum. And I think that's where we need to try and s- stop going to extremes and start thinking, level playing field and that's that's the joy i have i was ta- chatting with tim that before we started about just even some of the 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 consultation you have with with players not in person because it's online and the like you can go you can go very deep with people nowadays if you are able to get everyone on the same page of what okay how how are we going to fix this problem and i think that's what comes back into then my philosophy or my approach and how it's developed because it's 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 not about me providing answers, so I've got to make sure I ask really good questions. So, for someone who likes to talk, it's very hard for me in the coaching space to just to step back and wait till I have the right question to ask. If it's something, then even ideally, if it's if it's not even through a question, if I can actually just put a problem in front of them and let them solve it, even better. So I'm working around questions and problems the whole time in the hope that they're going to come up with answers and solutions. But I'm going to give them time. I'm going to give them that time and space. And again, you, you I, I'm working across the, the kind of spectrum. I'm fortunate enough to work with, with, with in professional golf. I'm fortunate enough to work with amateurs who are hoping to turn pro and, and with some in, in junior golf. But the one thing that's consistent is that 
their environment is the same when they're with me, which is that it's not the same ever <laughs> is constantly. I'm constantly working on manipulating the instability that they need to get comfortable with. So they don't ever feel like, oh, it's hot today or it's cold today. No, 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 no. It's always going to be in flux. So just get comfortable with the flux and work on trying to get it back to this level space. So that's an adaptability that you're talking about. Absolutely. So Absolutely. there's so one day you go out. So Thursday you start the tournament. And you're hitting a bit of a draw. So it's learning to adapt to that draw. Also adapting to that wind. Also adapting to the fact you had an argument with your girlfriend, <laughs> and you're gonna you have to deal with that. And then the next it's, then Friday is a totally different deal. Um, suddenly. I can't draw the ball yes. and and the wind died and just things are different. Yes. And Howard, it's snowing outside here. Just. Okay. <laughs> so oh, I'm my still, God. I'm still going to go hit some balls. I mean, listen, I got carried away. <laughs> All right. Is right. it above zero? I'm hitting golf balls. Um, but, in, but, but you hit the nail in the head there, Tim. That, that biopsychosocial model where it, 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 it's all in the mix. You mentioned there, you know, the argument with the partner that has an impact on how I'm going to view my game because I'm going to have a little bit more angst in me. And if I can if I can work hard to make sure that over the shot I'm here, well, then the angst can come back in between shots, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I, I'm dating a new I, – uh, I just started dating a, a new woman about a year ago, um, Dr. Ed, and I, someone asked me, how's it going? I said, it's going great. I said, we're still in the infatuation stage, <clears throat> but we're slipping into the uh, – she's starting to notice how I drive stage, which is my <laughs> – which is one of my favorite stages of a new relationship. It's like I said to her recently, I said, so for the last 10 months, you've just been sitting there thinking I'm a shite driver and you haven't what said about, anything. Have you got to the stage where she starts to analyze how you manipulate a tube of toothpaste? Oh, uh, oh yeah. I, I found, first of all, we're at, she's got her stuff here now. So I, she has her <laughs> anyway, but I don't. What, what about the cleaning your dishes up after dinner? No, no, I'm, we're not there yet. No, oh, okay. but we're just start, she just started noticing that I don't pay attention when when I drive like she would like me anyway. So um, let's just thank uh, our last couple minutes here with Dr. Ed, the Cork Institute of Technology. Um, what about uh, some follow up for somebody? Uh, they're looking to acquire some new skills over the winter. Uh, you yeah. mentioned that uh, should stay away from tracking every shot you hit. Um that you should put yourself into some situations, change your, you can change, you can work on your behavior over the winter time. Mm. Um, but it always comes back to this. And again, I promise you golfers listening to our show, understand we've talked about the mental side and how, uh, the mental, your, how you're feeling mentally affects your ability to execute the skill. But, but in the end, people still want to know how they get, how they make their golf swing better. Yeah. And what is it you do to your players? What do you do to disrupt them, to put pressure, to change the way they practice? I, I, again, I think that is through through challenge and through, as I said, to analyze the process and not the outcome. We get so wrapped up in the outcome. When you consider the ball can hit the club face of the club slightly off the center, and yet how that results... 150 yards away is very significant. So if we and then and then how it lands on the ground, depending on the grass that it is, and the if it went into a plug mark or a spike mark, and 
there's so many other variables that we just cannot control, but the behavior around that we can. And uh, and even just to, you say, I, I, I think this behavior change and your capacity to control your behavior is everywhere. And I, I'll even ask somebody, if, if you even asked your listeners to go away and brush your teeth with your other hand tonight before they go to bed and in the morning when they get up and stuff, they will find, they'll... They'll, some of them will actually hold the other hand to try and control it. <laughs> some of them will actually find there'll be more toothpaste around their face than actually gets in their mouth. <laughs> this isn't this isn't that they don't know how to brush their teeth. They they do of course. But if you ask them, okay, we're gonna we're gonna actually we want you to brush your teeth with your opposite hand. We're gonna give them time and space to in, to to explore that. And we're also going to allow them, and this is the key thing, we're going to allow them be frustrated in there. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a bit of fun with them, you know, as they leave for work in the morning <laughs> and there's toothpaste on their earlobe and you're not going to say anything <laughs> to them because you're like, okay, honey, see you later. And you're like, did you not see that? Oh, I did, but I thought that would be good for your your, your, your learning. Your skill acquisition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We need to allow people have that time to to experience the frustrations, which will then encourage them further into the exploration. And but just before you, uh, Tim, here's the thing that I've learned about learning is people that are excellent, and whether it's public speaking or in their businesses, they, you know, they call there's, there's a great book called The Dip. The people that can lean into that, that can celebrate the toothpaste on their earlobe on the yeah. way to learning to brush your teeth with your left hand. I think to me, and I only speak for myself, the, the biggest takeaway for any skill acquisition is being comfortable in the uncomfortable right. part yes right. being willing being, being willing to be messy so i think that's pretty appropriate with our toothpaste analogy but yeah it's on the being on that growth edge of being uncomfortable so so ed if, if, as we wrap up what would you say to somebody around this idea of focusing on process they're going to go, say, to, you know, an indoor range, you know, where they may have a dome here where they can see the ball go 100 yards or they're going to hit into a net. What would be an example of how they could bring what you're talking about, this focus on process rather than result? What would you suggest they could do? OK, so I think I would I would be encouraging them, for, for, for instance, I'd encourage them to not look after the shot, first of all in one sense, and, and, and work on that. Because again, as soon as we start to s- try to see, d- did that work? We're, our calibration gets very sensitive. And we then ch- we, we then start to really try to chase after these ints, where again, it can get very, can get quite, quite difficult to try to identify the ints, let's say. Can I pause you there for a second? So yeah. are you saying that you're asking a golfer, so rather than hit the ball, Look at the ball flight. Did it go where I wanted to go? Are you are you asking them to say more be say conscious of what was going on in their body and what they felt? I'm no. I'm saying I want them to be more. I want them to build a shot before they say before they take it. Say okay. I what I I want to be over the shot. I'm going to try and again. I'm going to try and draw the ball. I'm going to you know to draw the to one hundred and fifty yards. I'm going to try and draw the ball and so on and so forth. But over the shot, I want to make sure that I'm totally committed to that. They can control that now. Right. Totally committed to this shot. I'm also going to make sure that uh, even when I'm over the ball, I'm I'm very much making sure that I'm I'm looking at the ball. 
which is something, again, from some really nice, neat uh, research where they had eye trackers on players, that they realised players actually don't look at the ball. They actually look above the ball and be... And, and it's, it has a significant impact to actually look at the ball. We can control that. Sounds like you're talking about being present. So rather than being invested in, I hope this swing technique or something worked, which is future-based. Yes. What you're saying is being present to, like, in the moment as it happens. I'm completely saying that because I think when you can be present and you can say to yourself, okay – this is the shot I'd like to play, and I'm going to fully commit to this shot. And I've and I've been very strong on the target that I want to hit in one sense because I I now see it in my mind's eye. I've seen it. I've gotten in my crosshairs, so when I close my eyes, I can still see that shot. I'm not going to totally commit to that shot. If I'm, as you said, present, that relieves a huge amount of pressure then for me to then compare. Oh well, this is what I expected to happen. Right. If I'm thinking ahead before I do it, I'm already I'm hitting the shot, and I'm where to go. Did it? Did it do? You exactly. know, as opposed to I'm over the shot, I, I'm looking down at the ball, and I can still see that fade as I'm looking down the shot at the ball, and I'm going to commit fully, whatever the shot is. It could be a down the down the grip of a, a nine iron that I still want to, you know what I mean? I'm still going to commit to that shot. So I'm accelerating through the ball. So I'm not afraid of it. I'm not trying to mind the swing and so on and so forth. And then I hit it. And I don't, I don't, again, you're going to follow through. You're going to look, but then I'm not going to actually engage in that. In an especially, instant judgment. Exactly. Especially if what your guys are talking about there is where we've got people who are going to be confined to the indoors for a long period of time. We, we we can get very caught up then of being a virtual golfers, which then is a real struggle when we want them to become become real golfers in on a course. A- absolutely, because no matter how good the TrackMan practice facility, there's a difference between sending, as you yep, mentioned, yes. Gabby Wolf, uh, also a guest on our show, between sending something toward a target and yes. then imploding and being very inwardly focused, which yeah. which being, you know, just by the virtue of where you're in. Uh, I was hitting balls yesterday in, indoors, and, you know, the track man environment is great if you're trying to get your numbers to a certain point, but I find yeah. it very, I find I almost eat my, it, you'd be sort of go turn so far inward that it has right. nothing to do with sending anything. You're yeah. not really sending anymore. You're just, you're just very inwardly trying to replicate a swing. Exactly, and that's a key point, and that, that we we probably won't be able to go down this rabbit hole. But when we when and there's some lovely evidence around this space of the degrees of freedom. When we try to, if we want our degrees of freedom, especially in golf, when we're talking about that proximal, that that sorry, that uh, proximal to distal uh, uncoiling of the body, so that actually at that very last moment of impact, that is when we are actually at our most uncoiled, and that whip kind of happens in the swing. That we have that lovely separation in the body. If we ch- if we try to chase and control those degrees of freedom, we know from years of research that that actually takes us further away from a smooth action. Well, you know, one of the great cliches that has been around golf for a long time, and Tim, correct me if I'm wrong, but the, the guy that was a tr- – I've heard this quote attributed to George Knutson, one of the best ball strikers uh, ever to play the game, and and his thing was you've got to give up control to gain control, and if you hundred percent, if you could just, 
you know, we were talking, I was talking about this with my swing coach the other day, and we we're saying, you know, if you could put yourself in Cameron Champ's body for one swing, you would be, it, it would feel unhinged. Because people that are, you know, highly skilled at this particular action are letting go to a degree the rest of us almost never feel. Except yeah. once in a while we'll, we'll make a swing and that, that magical moment where it didn't feel like anything because yeah. you completely let yourself go. You just used a quote there from a guy that I've followed all my life, Kelly Slater, the surfer Kelly Slater. And one of his one of his things, he said he used to be very, very focused on things that he said were that he realized that eventually I can't control this. And he said he became a better surfer when he actually let go and he actually started interacting as opposed to trying to muscle it. Yeah. I'm actually going to become at, much more at one with my surroundings as opposed to, no, no, I'm going to influence myself on my surroundings. And he used that term. He said, when I realized I became a better surfer when I let go, he said it made it so much easier for me to let go. Well, you know, why don't we let go of you now? Because I can see that the three of us could do a, a three-hour show. Um, exactly. You know, th there's so much more to talk about in terms of, you know, the age-old problem that golfers don't seem to be able to solve, which is, I seem to be okay in the acquisition of this skill, but I can't then take it to the place that we play. And Carl Morris was the first one to talk about uh, on our show years ago about, you know, what is it about that first tee shot? And he said it's because it's the first time a golfer typically hits a shot of consequence that day. And I, and I know there's lots for us to talk about in terms of how do we replicate the feeling of golf while we're not golfing with you. And, and if you would, another time, we'd love to have you back. Absolutely, I'd love it. This, this has been the most fun I've had on a chat like this. So thank you so oh, much. Yeah, it's very fun. <laughs> we're 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 all about hilarity. Yes, um, uh, <laughs> none of that. It was good fun. Uh, the yes. uh, website, uh, if you want to find out more about what uh, Ed is doing, it's Doctor Dr. Skillacq.com. Doctor Skillacq.com. And uh, Ed, thank you very much. Um, uh, and, well, and Timmy, I'm so, so I, I'm not even sure how I do this. So I just hang up on Ed. <laughs> I yeah, think so. Hang, it sounds rude. It sounds rude, but we're going to let you go. We're going to so, let you hang up. Yeah, why don't you, up? Here, why don't you hang up? Then Tim, Tim and I'll close the show. And all we're going to do is talk about how much we like you. And then we wish exactly. you our friend. It's like, and which one of us is going to um, private message you first? I, I bet you it's me. <laughs> yeah. No, I already got. I was already going to follow up with him on oh, degrees. Oh no, I know you were. Tim. Well, listen. So th before I go, say I'd like to say thank you, but I'd also love to say if you are ever in this neck of the woods, please let me know, and I would. It would be an absolute pleasure to take you guys out and around the golf and uh, and to show you around. We've got some great courses over here. So and likewise, I just want to hang out. The, I just want to hang out in the pub with you. Yeah. Well, and likewise, if you're ever here, uh, we'd love to ha host you. Uh, Ed uh, Cogl Coglin uh, from the uh, Cork Institute of uh, Tech. Is it technology? Did I get that right? That's it. Cork right. Institute of Technology. All right, my okay. friend. Thank, Thank you. you. Ed. Bye, Ed. Bye. Bye. Bye now. Let's see, because I don't know how to hang up. Oh, there you. Ed's hung up. He's, he's goodbye. Yeah, he's a good man. Uh, well, that was that a good was show. That was fun. Yes, it was. That was fun. Talk about rabbit holes. Yeah, I mean, I, the only thing I'm, I'm and, and, and I am gonna, like, I, I would. Here's the thing, I gotta, and then you can message him all you want. I'm gonna see if he'll, because <laughs> I know you, I know you, I know you yes. so well, O'Connor. I love how you ask. So what you're saying is my philosophy. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> oh, so you're I taking it that. back to oh, oh, so but what I'm hearing is yeah. Howard's going. Well, that's not exactly my philosophy. No, exactly. You're, you're, I love a, <laughs> we we both try and pigeonhole our uh, particular yeah. worldview into any conversation. Well, that's how that's how it works. I'm a human being. That's exactly. The that's the way so, we roll. I I don't know what he would charge me, but what I want to what I would love to do with him is just get an hour of his time because. You know, as I told you the other day, unlike other years, I'm going to work on my golf game this winter because I, I really feel I made a lot of progress and I don't want it to go away. And I really, I love it. I mean, the other day when you left, I mean, I know it was nuts, but I loved being out there. I love the game. Oh, of course. And I, and I, I, but I, but I don't want to spend all winter trying to acquire a, a skill that I already have. I just want to refine a skill that I already have. So, so in are, refining this skill, are you talking about uh, you know a certain amount of hip turn uh, degree? Yeah, of I want to. I want. I want. So it's, it's funny because you know he what he talked about is that whole track man rabbit hole, but I'm trying to increase my club head speed, and I'm trying to en- and I'm trying to engage the golf ball in a particularly a particular different way. So what would you tell me? Like I, I'm I'm only being able to track my progress based on my increase in club head speed. So maybe what I would do then is take a few weeks off of tracking it, like the woman in his example of weight loss, work, right. on, some, work on some things, and then, then only measure it every so often. Because I can tell you, I can, I can see... You know, I could, really get, <laughs> I could really get obsessed with these track man numbers. And that's exactly what happens to most golfers. It's the same thing in, in mid-summer... Um, you know, they can even, you know, to a certain golfer, it could be a divot pattern. It could be, you know, I'm looking at my swing after swing on video, and when I put the line at the top, it's not in the same spot. I just think the golfers get stuck in that. Now, what I'm not saying is to totally disregard that and just be in this flow space of where everything happens. No, but there's a balance. There's a balance of that ability to be able to feel what's going on in your swing and adapt it to the task. And the task is like if you want to hit a certain kind of shot, it, it has nothing to do with uh, amount of what wrist hinge you put into it and your weight transfer. That's going to happen based on your body's ability to read. This is what needs to happen and allowing that to happen. But – Yes, you have to be conscious of what's going on in your body for sure. If you're, as you say, when it comes, you've talked many times to me around, like, say, ball position and alignment. If you don't have the ball in an optimal place in your stance, you're decreasing your chances of hitting it solid. Right. If you're misaligned, you got to compensate to bring that ball back. So it is a mixture of the cognitive and the kinesthetic and all that good stuff. Um, to make it work, and that's why this game is such a freaking mystery, man. Well, I think that was a great conversation. Always a pleasure seeing you, and it was nice seeing you in person the other day. Uh, it was. We, it absolutely some, was. We've got some Swing Thoughts uh, shows planned. We're going to do some uh, more stuff like that where we just talk to a single guest and have some great, you know, hopefully some conversations that resonate with people. Uh, it's easy to get a hold of me. It's Humble Howard at... Uh, gmail.com is my email also the uh, humble and fred show and uh now we're live in southern ontario on an am station as well as the podcast our podcast swing thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade and adidas 
Um, when are we doing this again? Uh, next weekend? You no, know, so two weeks from now. I'm, I'm fine for that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Well, listen, you're a very nice man. So when are you? How, how quickly are you going to private message him uh, for your own purposes, and when can I? Uh, <laughs> I would say within the hour. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna message him now and say how much would you charge me for uh, a one hour session to get my practice and uh, and then you can message him to uh, I don't know what you're gonna do to go live. I want to get into I want to when I wrote down degrees of freedom, I love that and I, I want to just explore that a little bit more. Um, yeah, I love that. Well, I, I uh, you know, I've noticed... Freedom, that's what I want now, yeah. freedom. I was going to say, you know, like, the biggest takeaway, I, and this, I got this from Charles, my buddy Charles, our buddy, our friend Charles Fitzsimmons, that whatever, whatever skill level you have, it's always en- enhanced and, and heightened by your ability to be free in the moment. To be present, as you said, but I will tell you that you know, even as much as I, I think about positions in a golf swing, when I'm hitting it, I don't think about it at all. I think about it. In fact, what I try and do is put myself in a situation where I, I, I work hard not to think about how to do the, this motion while I'm doing it. All right, sir. You're a lovely I, man. I endorse that. All right. Uh, 100% and beyond if, if that's possible. <laughs> To All infinity right. and beyond. All right. And the uh, I will just say, Tim O'Connor, Tim dot, uh, what is it? Tim O'Connor. I, I, I was going to, I mixed you up. Three with years of this and he's still. Because no, I have another for... Tim in my oh. life that is a sponsor of our show. I was going to say Tim dot Niblet, but it's oh, Tim. No. It's O'ConnorGolf.ca, right? Yes, there you go. All Thank right. you so much. Goodbye, my friend. Bye. My trusted friends. Bon, bon appetit. Have a lovely day. <laughs> you too. Bye-bye. Double ball time. Step inside, but you don't see too many.